So, with that, the recording has started. Welcome to Adult and Older Youth Sunday School. My name is Dennis. I am one of the elders here at Grace Covenant Church. And before we begin, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to the Lord's house today to be with the Lord's people. Lord, I thank you for the ability that you have given me to approach your throne of grace with confidence this morning, Lord, to be known by you, to know you personally. Lord, I know that if it wasn't for your mercy and your grace, that would not have happened. Lord, as we look at Luke 1 and Luke 2 this morning, learning more about your supernatural ability to speak with people, to foretell of things that would definitely come including your Messiah, your Savior, your chosen instrument who would die for all those who would place their trust in him, those whom you foreknew, those whom you planned to give eternal life to. Lord, we thank you that we are numbered among them this morning. We pray that our time this morning would be a blessing and an encouragement. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'll help me and give me clarity of mind this morning as I... uh, teach my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I want to start out by asking a single question that you probably have heard. Did Mary know? I I got some chuckles. Very good. So, I'm not the only one. Inevitably, whenever Christmas time rolls around, we hear that song, Mary, Did You Know? And everyone who believes in God's sovereignty and the plan that he had before the foundation of the world, yes, Mary knew. Why? Because God had sent someone, an angel, Gabriel, to share with her. So, Mary knew. God breaks his silence again. Remember, first time was with Zechariah. Second time, as we are going to learn in just a second, whenever Lisa reads... The first passage, Luke 1, 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. So, the birth of Jesus being foretold by Gabriel, there are a lot of things that Gabriel promises by way of the Lord that Jesus would be. And if you're just arriving, I have some sheets right over there with some stuff to fill out in the front with a little nifty graphic on the back that we'll talk more about in a second. So we learn about Mary, first of all, who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. So in the first century, marriages were almost always arranged events. 
and Mary was likely about 14 years old. I know older teens in this group, you're like, wait, what? Yes, that was a very common thing. All the scholars that have written any kind of New Testament commentary all say that Mary was like 14 or 15 years old whenever she was engaged or betrothed to be married to Joseph. Joseph, some even would say, was possibly a widower, right? He had been married before. He was a little bit older than in age. But generally, when a marriage at its first stage of engagement involved a dowry or a payment, there was a price for the bride. The betrothed girl legally belonged to her husband, but they would not move in together until the wedding ceremony, which was generally about a year later after the engagement started. So Gabriel visits Mary. He gives Mary a message foretelling the birth of Christ. First and foremost, he says that his name would be called Jesus. Matthew 21 adds, you don't have to turn there if you can if you want. Matthew 121 adds, and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus in the Greek is the equivalent of the Hebrew Yeshua or Yeshua, which means, anybody know? Who saves? God or Yahweh saves. This is what Jesus means. This is what his name stands for. And then Gabriel says there's going to be certain things about this Christ. Number one, that he would be great. That's your first point there. It should be that he would be great. Now, if you remember back last week, Gabriel said also the same thing about John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be great. Yet, even though both men would be great, uh, uh, um, John the Baptist would come in the spirit of Elijah to be like a prophet unto the Lord. Jesus would also be great as Messiah, right? Uh, as the Redeemer. Um, not only would he have this name, Jesus, not only would be great, but one way it distinguishes from John the Baptist is that Jesus would be called, should be your next blank, Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. Remember, this message by Gabriel to Mary wasn't given by any normal person. Remember, angels, as we discussed last week, they're messengers from God giving a message from God. So this was a message from God about who Jesus was or would be, is as the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. So being the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, this is a reference to Jesus' divinity. He would be the Messiah, but he would be something more than the Messiah. Your next blank. God would give Jesus the throne of David and would reign over the house of Jacob forever. So, Whenever the text says his father, David, this is a reference to Jesus's lineage to David. They were descendants through Mary's line. Think about uh, um, Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
So we have a reference from Isaiah, approximately five, six hundred-ish years before the birth of Christ, to how the Messiah would have and carry and reign on the throne of David. Here we have Gabriel saying the same thing, right? The Lord is definitely consistent. Also, the throne of David, this is a reference to Jesus' kingship. Just as David reigned over Israel, so too Jesus will reign. However, unlike David's, Jesus' authority, his kingship, would be with no end. The last blank would be a continuation of that. There would be no end to Jesus' kingdom. And of course, this is a reference to Daniel 7, 14, where it said his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this passage in Daniel is a prophetic message about the Messiah. Gabriel says the same thing. So Gabriel echoes what Isaiah said, what Daniel said, and actually, this is who Jesus is and who he became. This is what he, um, basically what was carried before the foundation of the world just, right, came into uh, a very present reality. So we have Mary's response to Gabriel. Okay, reader number two, Luke 1, 34 through 38. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thank you, Brian. So we have Mary's response to Gabriel. Who remembers what Zachariah's response was like? Was it laced with anything? Do you remember me talking about that? Doubt. There was a lot of doubt in Zachariah's response to Gabriel. However, look at Mary's response, Right? Let's look at Mary's response again. Does Mary have any doubt that we would say in her response? Mary said, what? What does she say there? Behold, I am a servant. How will this be? Right? Since I am a virgin, how will this be? So I would like to say that Mary's question reflects some doubt as well. She is an unmarried virgin. She is betrothed, but she is yet unwed. She sees no way that she could possibly conceive. Yet, some would say that her answer to Gabriel doesn't reflect the disobedience that Zechariah had in his response. She says, how will this be? Versus Zechariah's response was like, how can you even do this? How can this happen? Right? Even though we knew that Zechariah, being a priest who taught the word of God to the people, knew about Sarah and Abraham and Hannah 
and Samson's mother, right? All these women who conceived in their old age, he's like, how are you even going to do this? Even though God has done it multiple times before. So it's how will this be versus how can this happen? Gabriel then gives Mary the specifics about how she would become pregnant. It would be a miraculous conception. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And because it is carried out immaculately, the child will be called Holy, the Son of God. So at this time, Elizabeth had been in hiding for five months. And at this time, Mary was completely unaware of her pregnancy with John the Baptist. And in this little dialogue between Gabriel and Mary, he advises her that Elizabeth was pregnant, even in her old age, for nothing will be impossible with God. And again, if you think about with Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18, 14, remember whenever God gives Abraham this message and Sarah, and what does Sarah do in response? She laughs, right? And then it's followed up in Genesis 18, 14, where God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Right? So we have, is anything too hard for the Lord versus Gabriel's response, nothing will be impossible with God. We see some similarities there. Again, one kind of reflects the other, right? Nothing is impossible whenever God's involved. And the wonderful thing about it is, is God's involved in everything. Mary's second response to Gabriel, Brian, you alluded to it just a little bit ago. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, let's think about what it would be like to be a 14 or 15-year-old girl who gets visited by an angel, Gabriel, a very frightening scene, right? And not only this, but you're told that you are going to become pregnant. It's going to be a miraculous conception, but it's not going to be by your husband. What must the people think, right? She was betrothed to Joseph, but she would be pregnant by other means. She would be an unwed mother. Joseph would have known for sure that Jesus wasn't his child, since their marriage had not been consummated. And if there had been no consummation between a man and a woman who were betrothed to one another, another, then many would assume that Mary had committed adultery, right? So there's probably a little bit of hesitancy, right? But yet her response is this, let it be according to your word, okay? That's a wonderful response, Not my will, but let yours be done. Let's get into the virgin birth just for a minute. So Luke mentions the virgin birth or the virginity of Mary twice. Luke 127 and uh, then again in Luke 134. The gospel of Mark doesn't really mention anything about uh, Mary's virginity. But he also doesn't have any kind of infancy narrative because his is the shortest gospel. It's very concise. The Apostle Paul doesn't write on Mary's virginity as well as John doesn't either. Does Matthew? Absolutely. So we have the two gospel accounts of Matthew and Luke which record Jesus would be born of 
from a virgin. So we have Luke, not an eyewitness. Matthew, who was an eyewitness, he mentions it. But no one else in all the New Testament alludes to this. Is this a big deal? Is this a problem here? Okay, this is what I want us to think about. What about church history? What does church history say? Will belief in the virgin birth, and have some blanks for you here, belief in the virgin birth of Jesus has been a mark of orthodox Christian theology. Okay? It has for hundreds of years. The virgin birth is affirmed in the Apostles' Creed. Okay? Which has roots, early roots in the church. The second century church leader Ignatius of Antioch mentions the virgin birth on several occasions in his writings. Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, two second century early church fathers, they also affirm the virgin birth. We have Matthew, we have Luke, Mark skits, skips over it, John really doesn't touch on it, the Apostle Paul doesn't touch on it, but yet we have early church fathers who say that it happened. Is, is this important? Is the virgin birth important? If Jesus wasn't born from a virgin, would that have some implications? Absolutely. So, the virgin birth is not a take it or leave it issue. It is a take it issue. We're not going to leave it. It must be taken. The virgin birth, it's important. And it shows us that our Redeemer is fully, truly a man yet without sin. If he was born from Joseph, for instance, what would be the case then? Would, would he be without sin? He would have a sin nature. He would have a sin nature. So we're doc talking about the doctrine of original sin. Jesus was born supernaturally, but not in a way that makes his humanity different than ours. Joel preached about that in Hebrews 2. As one who was conceived by a woman, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is guarded from original sin. Were Jesus born with a sinful nature, he would not be the sinless Savior. The virgin birth means, the virgin birth is the means by which the Holy Son of God was incarnate, born without sin. The virgin birth is also important because it assumes the pre-existent divine sonship of Jesus. Pre-existent divine sonship of Jesus. The virgin birth is fitting for one who is already the son of God before the incarnation. Jesus is not only a man, but he is divine son of God. Uniquely, the God-man. And the only one who can accomplish salvation. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The virgin birth is also important. It is a hill to die on, if you will, because it shows us God's initiative in salvation. Salvation is a gift. Before the incarnation of the Son of God, many tried to bring a lasting salvation but God worked out his plan in his timing, in his way. And also, one last thing about the virgin birth. It is important, and we shouldn't forget, but it was promised. The virgin birth was promised. 
Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. Dennis, yes. Wouldn't it also indicate the purity of Mary? The purity of Mary in what sense? That she is not in, uh, I mean, she's a virgin. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's important too. It's yeah. good, Ted. So, let's get into, let me see here. Um, for the sake of time, um, Spence, it's only six verses. Go ahead, sir. Now Mary rose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is he, or blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Spencer. So, we could take this section of scripture in, in many different ways. But what we're going to talk about this morning, just for a brief minute, in this section is idolatry. Okay? Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this that is granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Was Mary a blessed woman? Yeah, absolutely. That we, can, we can safely say that. Should she then be worshipped? Absolutely not. Very good. So Gabriel told Mary she has found favor with God, Luke one thirty. Mary was blessed among women, Luke one forty two. She was the one who received the only holy gift of being the mother of our Lord. Right? It only happened once, Luke one forty three. Jesus, the, the Son of God, dwelled inside her in human form. He lived in her home, was under her care until adulthood. Again, the answer is still, we should not worship her. Are we then tempted? Many are. One woman from Luke eleven twenty seven. we're probably going to get to this into next semester. Luke eleven twenty seven. one woman publicly exalted Mary by crying out to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you and the, bre- the breast at which you nursed. Woman cries out to Jesus, exalting Mary. We're going to conclude that because Jesus gives her a correction, right? We're going to get to that in just a minute. But Pope Pius IX said these words, let all the children of the Catholic Church who are so very dear to us hear these words of ours with a still more ardent zeal for piety, religion, and love. Let them continue to venerate, invoke, and pray to the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, conceived without original sin. Let them fly to her with other confidence that this most sweet mother of mercy and grace in all dangers, difficulties, needs, doubts, and fears, under her guidance, patronage, and her kindness and protection, nothing is to be feared. 
nothing is hopeless. Because while bearing towards us a motherly affection and having in herself care at the work of our salvation, she is solicitous about the whole human race. And since she has been appointed by God to be the queen of heaven and earth, she is exalted above all the choirs and angels and saints and even stands at the right hand of her only begotten son, Jesus Christ. She presents our petitions to her son in the most efficacious manner. When she asks, he obtains. Her pleas can never be unheard. So, in Catholic Church history, we have this dialogue by a pope who says these words. Yet, if you look up the question, and maybe Wikipedia may answer it for you, do Catholics worship Mary? The answer is no. However, this is still something that Catholics refer to and Catholics believe. Okay, so we have a belief that she is preserved from origi uh, inheriting original sin. She's at the right hand of the Father. She is the queen of heaven and the queen of earth. She hears our petition, supposedly presents them to her son, to where, because of that relationship, he cannot deny his mother. So, is Mary blessed? We've already concluded, yes. How can we guard against idolatry? I'm going to give us some helpful blanks here. We must remember that Mary was not sinless. She had sinned. And not only that, she deserved, next blank, God's wrath along with the rest of us. This meant that God's favor on her was unmerited, just as it is with us. We cannot merit his favor one single bit. She was blessed to be the mother of Christ, but that's not the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is that her child would save her from her sins. She is blessed, and I'm sure she was a blessing to Christ in many ways, but the blessing is that Jesus, her child, would be the one who saved her, not the other way around. And this is a blessing that is given to everyone who believes in him. Yes, ma'am. I have a question, and I, I don't know if, if I'm wrong in this, but her answer needed to be just as it was given, because if she would have said, I don't want this, and the Holy Spirit came up from her, there would have been a consent issue. Sure. But for her to be made and framed in such a way that she, as you wish, was an obedient servant, then you lose that and you gain an opportunity for the one person who has had that experience. Absolutely. There was no other way for her really to answer without it being Agreed. awkward. So her answer was given and pre-written for her, in my mind. I mean, she had... I think that she still gave the answer in a genuine way. However, the Lord so worked in her heart to prepare her that perhaps that answer couldn't be anything but that. Right. Right? So that's, that's a good observation, Lisa. So I mentioned a little bit ago that a woman in Luke 11 publicly exalts uh, Mary. In the following verse, uh, Jesus says this, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. Jesus responds with, Rather, 
Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Right? So there's a correction. Blessed are you. Blessed is one who gave birth to you, Christ, and who nursed you. Jesus corrects her. No, ma'am. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus didn't even acknowledge it. He just gave her a really wonderful, gentle correction about this is where the blessing is. Those who hear and those who obey. So, moving very, very quickly, I want to talk just for a brief moment about the birth of Christ. I know that we are skipping over wonderful things like um, Mary's song. We are skipping over wonderful things like Zechariah's prophecy. Um, if you look with me first in Zechariah's prophecy, look with me in verse 77. Remember, um, Zechariah was able to speak whenever... He wrote down on a tablet whenever people were asking what his son's name was going to be. He wrote down, his name is John, and showed the people. At that point, his tongue was loosened. He was no longer mute. And then whenever that concluded, he gave this prophecy about Christ. Verse 77 says something that we can actually see and attest to, that Christ did this. He gave knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of his sins. So maybe someone can help us out here. I don't, I don't think I've called on you guys enough. In what way did Jesus give knowledge of salvation to his people? In what way did Jesus give knowledge about himself of salvation to his people. And you can just you can speak out if you have it. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Can you think of any instance, Ted, or any maybe you know something that Jesus would have said later that would um, give knowledge of himself as the only one who could save him? He's in the temple. Yeah. When he goes to the temple and he reads from Isaiah. The Perfect. Isaiah. Love it. That's good. John 3. John 3. Even as the serpent was lifted up the water, so much the son of man. Wonderful. And he also says water gives, you know, uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but water gives, uh, excuse me, spirit gives birth to spirit. Amen. Good. Wonderful. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Absolutely. John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Wonderful. Good job. So, we can see from this prophecy, absolutely that Jesus gave knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sin. We're going to move on to the birth of Christ. I am convinced that I'm going to end on time today. So the Gospel of Luke contains the most details about Jesus' birth. And the text, and uh, who is my fourth reader? I'm probably going to have to skip over you. Is that okay with you? I'm sorry, brother. Joel will pay you back next week. I'll give you an IOU. So, at this time, Caesar Augustus decreed for everyone to be registered, and they were to go to their hometown. 
They were descendants of David, Mary and Joseph, so they went to Bethlehem. How do we know Bethlehem is where they went? Well, the text says us, but thinking back to 1 Samuel 16, where was Jesse from? He was, yeah, he was a Bethlehemite, right? So Jesse, the father of David, from Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, descendants of David, they went to Bethlehem to register. It also uh, fulfills what the prophet Micah spoke that the Messiah would be from Bethlehem, uh, said, saying these words, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth from the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So they went to Bethlehem. Now, believe it or not, history, Roman history says a lot about these different censuses. There was one in 28 B.C., one in 8 B.C., and one in 14 A.D. Luke, in this particular instance, was probably talking about the one in 8 B.C. Each census, it's not one of those things where the people of this town went to where they were supposed to be registered, and they got it done in a complete weekend. No, this is something that took years to do. Okay, so most scholars then would date Jesus's birth, not at zero, 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 right? But around six to four BC. Another scholar that I sought out says to provide more help on the time of Jesus's birth, Herod the Great and his death provide another key to that question of Jesus's birth. He slaughtered boys two and under just before his death, according to Matthew 2.16, and he died in 4 B.C. This would mean that Jesus was likely born around 6 B.C. So, we have Jesus' birth, a birth of very lowly and humble beginnings. Why is that? Well, the text says the time came for her, Mary, to give birth, she, she wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes for comfort, warmth, and security. Moms, does that still happen today? Absolutely. Right? They take that newborn and that blanket's like the thinnest blanket in all the world, but they wrap that little baby up so tight. Right? Comfort, security, it's still practiced today. And he was laid in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So, many assume, and even me, that Jesus was laid in a manger, which was a trough, they must have been in some kind of barn. However, a first century home would not have been out of the question. So I, I gave for you a little graphic on the back of your sheet that's a little cutaway of what a typical first century home would look like. From the handout, it says the homes of poor families were small and plain. They were built of rough stone or mud brick walls and roofs of woven branches covered with clay. Living spaces were laid for household work, cooking and weaving. At night, the family's domestic animals were brought into the lower level. Okay, interesting. So in that lower level, then, animals would be there, which meant a trough, more than likely, would be there also. So the animals could feed out of. 
If you look there at the right, there's a little size comparison from maybe a modern home today. First century houses were smaller than modern houses. And this reference is a double wide trailer and it accommodated an entire family. Each floor was seven foot high and was 24 by 24 compared to, let's say a manufactured home with a length of 60 feet and a width of approximately 24 feet. So the text says there was no room for them in the inn. And whenever we think about an inn in our minds, you probably think of like a Motel 6, right? Like there was no room for them in the Motel 6, so they had to go stay in a barn. But let's get into the Greek just for a second. Interestingly, this word in in Greek is katalima, which does not have a traditional meaning for an inn, but for a guest room. So Mary and Joseph most likely... They knew someone in Bethlehem, friends, family, someone they knew, someone who was willing to take them in, and they didn't have any room in their guest room, no room in the regular part of the house, so they were staying with the animals on the bottom floor. So this image of Christ, staying with the animals, sleeping in a trough, of course, is an emphasis that Luke longs to highlight, highlights well about Jesus' beginnings, his humble beginnings as the Christ child. And I want to conclude with reading Philippians 2 of the Carmen Christi, a hymn that the early church would have sung very often whenever they would gather together. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Not only the likeness of men, but the likeness of men who was poor, who had very humble means in a humble estate. So by way of recap, I'm doing wonderful. God is no longer silent. Gabriel is sharing what he will do to not only Zechariah, to also Mary. John the Baptist will be the forerunner of Christ in the spirit of Elijah, who will have a ministry appointing those to the coming Messiah who would be imminently coming. The virgin birth is critical, and many have had issues with it over the years. However, it's not a take it or leave it or thing. It touches on whether we believe God's supernatural intervention in the world, the biblical teaching of sin, even the plain meaning of Scripture, and the historic creeds of Christianity. So Jesus was born. The infinite becomes infant. The maker becomes man. The Prince of Peace is here. History is forthcoming. And soon he will appease the wrath of God, bringing peace to us, his enemies, Therefore, like the angels and all the heavenly hosts proclaim at the conclusion of our section in Luke chapter 2, with grateful hearts, we should say glory to God in the highest as well. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for today. Lord, we thank you for every family that's represented here, Lord. I pray that we would um, 
Lord, think often about your humble beginnings. Lord, that it would help us have a spirit of humility. Lord, I pray that we would reflect often about the virgin birth and the implications from that. Lord, if you had not designed it and orchestrated the way that it would happen, Lord, there would be no hope from us. Jesus would not be the sinless Savior. Lord, we would still be in trouble. But praise be to God that you sent your Son from before the foundation of the world, making an eternal covenant with him, that he would be born as a babe, that he would be born from a virgin, that he would live a perfect life, obedient to the Father in every way, and then dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, we thank you for these precious truths. May we reflect upon it. Lord, we pray for our services and corporate worship. Lord, may they be edifying to you. Prepare our hearts as we go in. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.